Well, this is Pentecost Sunday. And you know, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We celebrate Christmas in a big way, don't we? His resurrection, we celebrate in a big way. But today, Pentecost, people hardly pay any attention to it. You don't see Pentecost displays in stores like you do Christmas and Easter. You don't see people talking about it much. And the thing is, this is an extremely important day to the church. It is the birthday of the church, but it's not just celebrating some historical date that we remember that happened way back when. It was the beginning of something that is continuing on today. Just like your birthday may be marked as one particular day in history, like Sharon's birthday is September the 6th, 19... I'm not going to tell you how old she is. but, But anyway, but the thing is, is that there's that one particular date in history when Sharon was born. But we continue to celebrate her birthday every year, not just because of that day back there, but because she's still with us. And because that was the beginning of Sharon. And we celebrate Sharon today, you know, and every day. And so it is, Something began back at Pentecost, but it wasn't just an isolated day way back there. It's connected. It was the beginning of something that has continued on in the church and will continue on in the church until the Lord comes again. It's the same with marriage. You know, Sharon and I began a humongous adventure 53 and a half years ago. But that we can look back and point to one day, 53 and a half years ago, December the 28th, 1965. That's the date. But we don't just celebrate that particular moment. We celebrate the fact that it was the beginning of something that we still enjoy and we're moving on in and will continue to move on in for the rest of our lives. Pentecost is one of those things that the church needs to reclaim because it has lost what Pentecost really means. And I don't know if you've ever noticed the parallels between the Tower of Babel and what happened there and what happens at Pentecost. The Tower of Babel The whole story involves people getting together and deciding that they wanted to be like God. It was almost like the Garden of Eden, where Satan deceived the man and the woman into thinking that they could be like God. People are just prone to get this delusion that they can take the place of God And they will go to great lengths sometime to try to displace God. And so they built this huge tower intending to reach the heavens. And the moral of the story of Babel is whenever you start trying to take God's place and assume his place, discord, disruption, 
division and chaos come in. That's what's happening in our country today. That's what's happening in the United Methodist Church today. As we are pushing God out of the conversation, pushing His Word out of uh, the morals and all of our lives, we wind up in discord, disunity, and sadly, uh, just division. It's a sad thing. But it goes parallel with what's happened to Pentecost in our church. The Pentecost is the day that the church received power. The day that believers were empowered by God to carry on the work of the church, but also their own lives reconnected to God in ways that they had lost. The Holy Spirit exploded on the scene. All those who in obedience had gathered there in that one place at one time, and they were of one accord, as they got together of one accord in serving the Lord, the Holy Spirit was poured out in a humongous way, and the body of Christ was changed forever. It was a turning point in church history. Now, Pentecost is associated with power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, power can be used in two ways. It can be unleashed and it can be harnessed. I ran across a, uh, an analogy that uh, makes perfect sense to me. It says that uh, you can have 20 gallons of gasoline. Now, the energy of that 20 gallons of gasoline can be released explosively. If you just pour it out and throw a match in it, you're going to get a big flash and it'll all be consumed right there. Very exciting, uh, but then it's all gone. But it, it explodes and makes a big impact and all the fuel is consumed. And you know, some churches are like this. They, uh, they, 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 well, they, they, they just look forward to the Sunday experience. They think they're going to meet the Holy Spirit in church, and they will. They will. But they don't think about Him being in their lives and the rest of the week. And so they look forward to Sunday. Oh, we're going to go there. It's going to be great. And it's all about the Sunday experience. They can't wait to go to church on Sunday because God is there. And yes, He is. They're going to have this wow experience, and that's where it stops. The rest of the week is dull and nothing happens. On the other hand, the same 20 gallons of gasoline can be channeled through the engine of a motor vehicle and through a controlled burn, it can take a car 400 miles, can it? It lasts much longer. There's staying power, power that, that, is, that is channeled to do something. Now, there's another aspect to this analogy that nobody has mentioned, but I think that it depicts what's going on in churches today using the analogy of cars and gasoline. The way it is, sadly, in a lot of congregations is that they have this car that they know God wants them to move down the road. Now, the car represents the church 
and the work of the church, the, the work that God wants the church to be doing, that he wants us to be doing. And the gasoline represents the Holy Spirit, whom we celebrate coming into the church today. They know that the Holy Spirit is important, and you'll notice every song that we've sung thus far today involves the Holy Spirit. And uh, well, we, we prayed a prayer inviting the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, our Nicene Creed, talks about our belief in the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Holy Spirit is important, but so many don't know what to do with it. And so they figuratively stick that tank or that uh, just that container filled with gasoline in the trunk of the car because it's special. And they know that they're supposed to do something with it. They just don't know what. They stick it in the trunk. Then they all take turns pushing and steering the car to get it down the path that they think God wants them to take. I mean, it's ludicrous when you think about it, but this is what's happening in many denominations today. Just picture a church bus filled. You've got people sitting there in the seats and they're enjoying the ride while there's a bunch of other people out there just pushing like crazy to move it down the road. And here's a preacher or somebody steering it. Something's missing and it's the power that could be had from that can of gasoline that they don't know what to do with. It reminds me of the story of old Jim Bob, the pulp wooder. Jim Bob was old school. He sawed pulp wood by hand and he could saw and stack about three cords of pulp wood a day that way. Now the guy at the saw shop kept telling him, said, Jim Bob, you need to get with the times. People are using power saws now. People are using chainsaws and they're cutting 10 times the wood that you're cutting with a chainsaw. Finally, wood was getting so cheap, Jim Bob realized he had to do something different. So he said, give me one of those chainsaws. And he took the chainsaw out. And about three weeks later, he came back and he looked awful. He said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I, I have worked harder than I ever had in my life these past three weeks. And as try as hard as I can, two cords is all the wood I could get done in a day. It's killing me. They, they saw was supposed to help, right? He said, yeah. The guy at the saw shop said, let's see what's wrong with this saw. He took it and he opened it up and he looked. Everything looked right. He pulled the crank. It started up. And Jib Bump jumped back, started, said, what's that noise? He had everything he needed, but he didn't know how to use it. He didn't know what to do. He had gasoline in the tank, but he wasn't letting the gasoline do its work. He was doing it all himself. A lot of church people are working so hard, and I've seen so many burn out because they're trying to do it all on their own. And the thing is, the Lord not only wants to empower the church to move down the road, he wants to steer it as well. Well, the Holy Spirit works both ways. He exploded on the scene. 
And he does explosive things from time to time through miracles. But he also intends to work continuously through the individuals of the church on a daily basis as he fills them and empowers them for life. And as they do so, they're bright lights for him all the time, not just on Sunday, all the time. This day, it was an event. It was a turning point, a turning point in the lives of the disciples. It was a turning point for the church. Now, can you pick out a time or an event in your life where you can point and say, that was a real turning point in my life? All of us can if we stop and think about it. Uh, you hear uh, sport coaches use that terminology all the time. When that happened, that was the turning point in the game. Or maybe it was the day your first child was born. Life was never the same after that. Or it was that day that you finally got the courage to ask Mrs. Wright out for a date. Or the day that you graduated from high school or college or university. Can you think of a day like that that was such a turning point in your life? But not all turning points are positive. You can have negative turning points as well, like the day you had that car accident or the day you found out that that loved one had died or the day the doctor gave you the bad news. We've all had these turning points in our lives and we can we just go through our lives with our lives marked with these turning points in this way. Now this morning, God wants you to have a turning point in your spiritual life. God wants to empower you to be more than you ever dreamed you could think of being on your own. He wants you to have a spirit-led, spirit-filled life. Not just come to church on Sunday, but know his presence and his power in you, with you, helping you in all of the life that he has given you. The Bible teaches us that unless we're living a life led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to live life to the fullest. You're not going to be able to truly enjoy the life that you have. We can't experience the greatest things in life without the Holy Spirit. The Bible also teaches us that we're not going to reach our God-given potential without being filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Saul of Tarsus is a great example of exactly what I'm talking about this morning. He was considered the most feared man in the known world. And why was he feared? And who was he feared by? He was feared by Christians because he was on a mission. It was a crusade. And he thought it was a crusade for God. He was doing his best to serve God by wiping Christianity off the face of the earth. Now, there have been a lot of people through history who've done some horrible things thinking that they were doing these things for God. 
when in reality they were fighting against him. And let's face it, there are church leaders who are doing the same thing today. Now that's where we find Saul. He was sincere, thinking he was doing God a big favor. He had everything planned. He was on a mission. He was on a crusade. He was giving all he had to this job that was before him. And he was doing it with great venomous passion. And then Saul ran into one of these turning points I mentioned. You could say it was a God moment because it definitely was a God moment. Here's Saul's encounter with God found in Acts, the uh, ninth chapter, beginning with the third verse. As he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. As Saul picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days. And all that time he went without food and water. You see, God had to knock Saul off his high horse. His own ideas as to how to serve God were wrong. He had an encounter with the living God. He came face to face with the God he was fighting against. And he was humbled in an instant and he was blinded. All of a sudden, he didn't have it all figured out anymore. In essence, he was just a blind man that needed God. I've come to realize that about myself. I'm just a blind man, helpless without God in my life. Without Him leading me, without Him helping me, without Him guiding my paths, my thoughts, my dreams, the Holy Spirit came to empower the church and to give life to it and to its members. And He still does today when we follow His way, not our way. Not our great ideas and grandiose schemes, but His way. Here's Jesus' way. Here's how He described the, how we get to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Holy Spirit's not a bad thing. Some people are scared to death to even talk about it. They think he's going to make them do weird things. They think, it, they think that it's something just 
crazy people and religious nuts are involved in, but it's the normative Christian faith. Here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. In him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Now listen to these words. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's saying the Holy Spirit is the best thing your heavenly Father has to give. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit? First of all, we read you have to love the Lord. You have to love Him, not your ideas about Him, Him. And then you have to repent. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You can't keep His commandments. You can't start doing what He wants you to do until you quit doing what you want to do. That's repentance. You turn away from your way. You turn His way. So the second thing is repent. Third thing is start obeying, resolve. Your repentance and obedience go together. And so you repent, you obey, and then you ask. You ask. You can't earn it. Just like salvation, it cannot be earned. All you can do is ask and receive. Reminds me of a story I heard about uh, Theodore Roosevelt. During the Spanish-American War, Clara Barton was overseeing the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. And one day, Colonel Theodore Roosevelt came to her, wanted to buy food for his sick and wounded Rough Riders, and she refused to sell him any. Now, Roosevelt, he was perplexed. His men needed help, and he was prepared to pay for it out of his own pocket. When he asked someone why he couldn't buy the supplies, they told him, Colonel, just ask for it. And a smile broke out on Roosevelt's face. Now he understood the provisions weren't for sale. All he had to do was simply ask and they would be given freely. And they were. It's the same with us. The Holy Spirit is there for us. Salvation is there for us. We have to take some steps. We have to ask. So the question today is what role is the Holy Spirit playing in your life right now? Where are you in your spiritual journey? Have you received him in that whole life that he has to offer you? Sad story I ran across about Lord Kenneth Clark who's internationally known for his television series, Civilization. Lord Kenneth Clark lived and died without faith in Jesus Christ. He admitted in his autobiography that while visiting a beautiful church, 
He had what he believed to be an overwhelming religious experience. He said, my whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had ever known before. But the gloom of grace, as he described it, created a problem. If he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew he would have to change. His family might think he'd lost his mind, and maybe that intense joy would prove to be an illusion. And so this is what he concluded. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. Now, I have known people throughout my ministry that could point to some major encounter with the Lord and somehow it had no effect on them. And I think we see right here why. They were too embedded in the world to change course. They were too embedded in the world to start loving this one who was showing love to them in such a personal and magnificent way. They were too embedded in the world to turn from their way and to turn toward His way. And so, many of them remain in the church, sitting in church pews, and the church is powerless because many times, ladies and gentlemen, the church is too embedded in the world to change its ways. How about you? Have you had a wonderful experience with the Lord? Now, let me tell you this. You can have those experiences and then drift away. It's like I've told you, Dale Moody said when he was asked if he'd ever been filled with the Spirit. He said, yes, many times. And this woman said, why many times? She thought just one, one time being filled was it. He said, because I leak. And we all leak. We all need to stop and examine ourselves on a relationship with the Lord. How do you quench the Holy Spirit in your life if you've asked Him in and you've been walking with Him? Here's how you quench it. First of all, stop praying. Next, stop studying God's Word in faith. Stop reading the Bible and believing it. If you'll do that, you'll start to drift away. The last thing, disobey. Know what He wants you to do and just decide you're going to do something else instead that quenches the Holy Spirit. It could be you've never known His presence. It could be you have known His presence in wonderful ways, but now you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, where are you? The thing is, I've heard it said many, many years ago, if you wake up and the Lord's not there, guess who moved? It wasn't Him. But there's a way back. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to come home. I want this to be the first day of the rest of my life with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.